Good morning, Veritas. Good to be here with you guys this morning. My name is Mark Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of preaching God's Word. And we are in between series. We just finished studying through the book of Titus, which is our normal rhythm of just opening a book of the Bible and studying through it. And actually, next week, we're going to start an Advent series as we lead up to Christmas. And so we had an open week on the teaching schedule, and I was sharing with our staff, um, I spoke on our Veritas uh, church up in Cedar Rapids. I spoke on their men's retreat, and I got to Saturday morning, and I felt like my, uh, my sermons were kind of missing the mark of the retreat. I mean, you got 100-plus guys in a room, and I, I just felt like I was missing. And, and I said, well, guys, uh, tomorrow morning is going to be a choose-your-own-adventure sermon. Uh, you can either go with what I had planned in preaching the Sermon on the Mount, or uh, I can preach a sermon that I've never preached before and I don't have prepared, but it's just called Lessons from My Dad. And they all voted and they overwhelmingly voted for the sermon I hadn't prepared, Lessons from My Dad. And uh, it ended up being one of my favorite sermons that I preached all semester. And I was sharing about this and Jeff Dodge was like, hey, you should just teach that to Veritas. And, and I thought about this because... Um, as I was looking out on this group of, of men that I was speaking to, and as I've been talking to, to different guys throughout the Titus series, and especially this last week, I was um, meeting with some different guys, and uh, one guy was working through some life stuff, and his dad is not a believer, and so he didn't have any like, life wisdom that he could get from his dad. Another guy was talking about how he was thinking about going into ministry, and his dad was very discouraging toward that and saying, that's a terrible decision. You, you need to go out, and you need to make a bunch of money, and you need to do this. And he's thinking, but I, I think I want to make these decisions to really follow Christ and, and put this into action. Um, uh, other people that talked about losing uh, their dad because of death or divorce or just all of that. And I thought about um, the kind of the challenge in the church is that we're God's household. That's what in Titus 1, he says we need these, these godly leaders to be an example in Titus 1 and Titus 2 because he says we are God's household. And even think about the Lord's Prayer when, when he, first thing Jesus says, hey, here's how you should pray. First words, when you come to God, you should say, our Father. And, and, and so this idea of the church as a family and God as our Father, I realize that we, many of us, um, many of you, don't have a great real life example of what that looks like to have a, a great father who's following Christ and, and kind of setting the, the tone in the home and in the household and giving an example. And when you become a Christian, you become a part of a family. Like ultimately, that's what we are. We're, that's what this is. This is not just like uh, goods and services for Christians, like coming to uh, Super Target and getting all your needs met in church. When you, you're, you don't approach church like a consumer and, oh, I hope uh, music was pretty good. I hope the sermon's good. No, you step into a family. That's what we are, a family. And what I think we need as a family are great examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we're a pretty young church. Um, and so, 
uh, my dad is, is 71. He's been following Jesus for almost 60 years. And I just look at his life and I, I, there's many things that I find myself doing and saying just because of his example in my life. And so I woke up Sunday morning and it took me about 15 minutes to write this sermon uh, because really I've been preparing this sermon for 43 years uh, as I've observed my dad. And, and this, here's what this sermon is not. Uh, this sermon is not a eulogy. Okay? My, I'm not trying to eulogize my dad or speak well of him and just talk about all the great things. And I, I thought about having a picture of me and my dad. But actually, um, it's really not a, a, this sermon's not about my dad, um, actually. This is about the example of pointing me to Christ and how he did that and, and ways that he lived to cultivate joy and perseverance in his own soul. And so really, it's not as much about my dad. So I didn't want to put a picture because I wanted you to think of like an ex- just the example that you can follow. Also, um, it's not, hey, look how amazing my dad is because I, I hope you don't leave feeling bad. Like, oh, I, I didn't have that. The, the point of this is to give you an example that you can also follow. We're going to just hit on about six or seven, depending on how much time I have. I'm just going to get up here and just start talking about my dad, and we'll see where this ends. I'm just like, may at some point, if it gets long, just, all right, let's close in prayer, and we'll do communion, but we'll kind of see how this goes, but we're just going to let it rip. So this is kind of a different kind of sermon, um, so if you're new um, and you don't like it, well, come back next week, uh, and maybe you'll like it better, but here we go. Strap it in. Proverbs 3. This is the first lesson. Every, every lesson, as you're taking notes, we'll have a scripture that I'll read, and then we'll make the point. Uh, but Proverbs 3, man, this is, this is the first point. This has to be the first point about my dad, the thing that I learned from my dad. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. Uh, if you are a young man or woman, he's going to tell you this verse. It says this, Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. That's Proverbs 3, 3 through 4, and the verses after it are real famous verses. So these would be great verses uh, to memorize. Here's what I've noticed about this generation. You guys have heard me rant on this many times. This generation wants to do something amazing. This is the generation where we name our kids. We don't, you know, it's not as much Bob and Jack and Linda and whatever. We give unique names, right? We give unique names because we want our children to be special and unique and do great things and do amazing things. and, And we want to go out and change the world. We, we think, you know, we want to go dig some wells and start a nonprofit and do amazing things. But here's what I've learned from my dad through Proverbs is here's what amazing is in the eyes of God. If you want to be amazing, here's what you do. You don't aim for being amazing. You aim at being faithful. That's what gets God's attention here. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. These are the things that gain esteem in the eyes of God. So the first point that I learned from my dad's life is don't be amazing. Just be faithful. Because faithfulness actually is amazing. Faithfulness, here's how my dad defines faithfulness is faithfulness is just showing up. 
he says about 99% of ministry is showing up. He's a, an elder of a church. They planted this church like seven years ago. There's like over 5,000 people all over the Omaha, uh, kind of Midwest area. And, and, you know, my dad's just like, he laughs because he's like one of the key leaders in this, like, dad, what's the secret to your success? How did you do this? And he's like, I just kept showing up. And pretty soon they're like, well, Jack's still here. <laughs> Jack, can, can you lead this? Like, you're still here. We just keep seeing you showing up. And pretty soon God uses you. My dad always says that we, as errants, uh, we are on the cutting edge of mediocrity. We are almost good at a lot of things, but we're not really good at anything. And so my dad says, you know, I hear people use the excuse, oh, I could never do that. And he says, oh, yeah, well, can you do it poorly? <laughs> well, yeah, I could do a poor job of it. Sweet, then you should do it because anything worth doing is worth doing poorly, right? If we need connection group leaders and you're like, well, I could never do that. Well, could you do a poor job of leading a connection group? I probably could. You're just gonna show up and do a poor job every week. You're just the guy for the job. That's how my dad has emerged in leadership. It's just bringing his mediocrity and faithfulness and like, I'm still here and I think I could do that. Because I mean, think about it. Anything worth doing, like, is it worth having like prayer? And if, like, it's better to have a poor prayer meeting than not to have one, right? Like, it's better to tell someone about Jesus poorly than to not tell someone about Jesus, and my dad was actually, he has been working with college students since 1989. And at one point, they needed a college pastor. And like, Jack, this is your time to shine. He's like, well, I can do a poor job. And they're like, sweet, because it's better than just shutting the college ministry down. And he was a worship leader one time. He had this little thing called an omnicord, and it was so cheesy. And he's up there in front of his Sunday school class trying to lead worship, doing such a poor job. And... Um, yeah, out of his mediocre ministry of just showing up has come church planners, missionaries, countless people in heaven. And I want to ask you the question this morning, in what area of your life do you need to just keep showing up? Kind of the end of a semester, maybe you're getting tired with connection group, tired of showing up. You're getting tired of, oh man, I, you know, that meeting or that Bible study or that thing. And maybe some of you applying this to work, like you're just burned out on your work and you're ready to not show up tomorrow. And tomorrow you just need to keep showing up. And when you're dealing with that boss that's difficult, you just keep showing up pretty much as everyone else quits. Next thing you know, you are the boss, Right. Let loyalty and faithfulness never leave you. The next lesson I learned from my dad uh, was 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. All these will come up on the screen, um, it, uh, so, but you can write these down and, and look them up later uh, to 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says, but God, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich 
fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. If you have God, you have everything you need. God is the secret of contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Some of you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Here's the definition of contentment that, um, that my parents, actually this, you know, my mom will say this a lot too, and this is the second point that I've learned from, from my dad, and, and this one I'm from my mom in particular, but contentment is wanting what you already have. Contentment is wanting what you already have. Man, this is a good point this time of year, isn't it? Black Friday's coming up. You're going to see a lot of stuff, a lot of ads. And, you know, here's the thing about my parents. They never made a lot of money. Never made a lot of money. And so we had to be frugal. We had to use coupons. And, you know, we just never went out to eat. I remember driving by Taco Bell and just thinking, like, I wonder what goes on in there, you know? <laughs> and when we went into the, you know, back in the 80s, you had these coupons and, you know, we, each of the kids, you'd like tear them out and each of us kids had to like partner up with a sibling and go up to the counter because you couldn't use the coupon more than once or whatever. And that was just our way of life. And, you know, uh, my, my parents, they will admit that they're pretty cheap. My dad's pretty cheap. And I think that comes from his, gra- from his dad, my grandpa Bill, World War II generation, and Grandpa Bill said, hey, when it, when it, when I, when it comes time to do my funeral, uh, don't buy a casket. Don't buy a casket. It's way too much money. Freeze me with my legs crossed and just screw me into the ground. And, you know, that, that was my Grandpa Bill, like super cheap, even thinking about when he's dead. Like, I don't want you guys spending money on, on something nice. So anyway, that's, yeah, my dad, he talked about, he, one of the things that with this point is he's like, taught us to never have a car payment. Like a car is just like a metal box to get you around. Uh, If you're trying to like live a Mercedes lifestyle on a Ford Focus budget uh, or Toyota Corolla budget or something, uh, you're going to be poor, right? You're not ever going to have a whole lot. Uh, It's better to to find something simple uh, that you can be content with and I was talking to my dad the other day. We were both driving our vans, both of them like 250,000 miles. My door's like duct tape shut. The doors don't close all the way. The, all the lights on the dash were coming up like a Christmas tree. And so I just had the mechanic. He's like, well, this is going to cost a lot of money. He's, I'm like, yeah, but how much does it cost to just cut the cord? And they all go off. And so he did that for me. And so I'm just driving it around. And, um, and I'm talking to my dad, and we're laughing because he's in his old van. He's like, oh, the transmission's going out, you know, but I use this, this liquid. I poured into the transmission thing, and I'm like, it's still going, you know, and we're just delighting. I told my dad, I was like, dad, I feel like I want my van. Like, I look around all the other cars, and like, I just want my van. I see nice cars. I'm like, dude, I would way rather have this because I feel like somebody's paying me to drive it. Like every time I get in, someone's handing me like 10 bucks. Like, thanks for driving this thing. You know, because I'm like, I'm, by not spending money, I'm making money, right? So that's kind of the mentality um, of just being resourceful and thinking through that. But um, 
the point here is, is that contentment is wanting what you have. And as I was talking to my parents about this, my mom said, you know, Mark, this, uh, from my perspective, she's like, for your dad, this was always more like of a natural, like he did this naturally. She said, not for me. She said, Philippians 4, where Paul says, uh, I have learned the secret of contentment in all things. She said, I had to learn contentment. I said, well, mom, how did, how did you learn contentment? How does somebody learn contentment? She said, well, uh, a few things. She said, uh, one is God's word, you know, and she, she quoted Psalm 73 and how she said, I used to envy the, you know, the wicked. It looks like they don't have any struggles and they're driving nice cars and they got great jobs and they've got, she said, I, w- I w-, you know, I would see these like successful people. And, and, then, and then the Psalm 73 says, until I saw the slippery path. I saw where the love of money goes. And she said, it was kind of a warning, just God's word opening it, kind of retraining my mind. But she said, also godly friends, godly content friends. She said, I had this friend, Kathy, that when they would get the Sunday newspaper, she would take all the ads out and just throw it away. And my mom was like, that's the best part. What are you doing? She said, oh, I don't need to see all the stuff that I don't need because then I'll just start wanting all the stuff that they're showing me. So she just threw away the ads and she's like, I was discipled by her. I learned contentment from Kathy. And she said the third thing was age. She said, when I was young, I wanted more, but age gave me perspective. She said, if you're not happy with what you have, what makes you think you'll be happy with what you want? Third thing I learned from, from my dad is Lamentations 3.22. Lamentations 3.22, this is just going to be a harder book to find. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible, but uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says, Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. My dad is always ready with a word for the day. If I were to call my dad right now, if I were to, hey, Siri, call dad, all of a sudden, my dad would get on the phone. I'd say, hey, dad, what are, you, what are you learning? What are you learning from God's word? He'd say, oh, oh, I got a great word for you this morning. Because every day he has this habit of just opening the Bible and hearing from the Lord every single morning. But you know, one thing I've noticed over the years is my parents, my dad especially, has had a lot of different ways of reading the Bible. I mean, he's had, he started and stopped a lot of things. He's started uh, journaling and then he stopped journaling. He's read through the chronological Bible or the Bible in a year or this or that. And it seems like a lot of the things that he's starting, he starts doing, he stops doing. And so you've heard me say this many times about the Christian life, but if you're a, if you are a, a new Christian Here's a principle that will help you so much in your Christian life. Lamentations 3 says that God's mercies are new every morning. Some of us have a tendency to start stuff like a Bible reading plan or something, and we stop doing it and we never restart it because we feel so bad that we failed, that God hates us, that we're just in a hole. That's not how it works. When you see all those empty check boxes of all the Bible stuff that you didn't read, you know what God says? Who cares? Today's a new day. And so here's the point. You guys know what this point's going to be. Many of you have heard me talk for a while. Um, you know what I'm going to say. Number, point number three for my dad's life is master the restart. 
Master the restart. Whatever you start doing, you will likely stop doing. And your soul is just like your body, right? Your soul needs to be trained. And if any of you guys who have uh, men and women, you have bodies. You know what this is like. You start diets, you start workouts, and then you stop them. The key to training your physical body is very similar to this. You just got to get good at starting over. Oh, I stopped doing push-ups and sit-ups like weeks ago, and then weeks turns into months. Well, all you have to do is start over. You just get good at restarting, right? And that's the same with your soul, with your spiritual life, is you just have to get good at starting over because God's mercies are new every morning. So today is a great day to start over. You don't even have to wait till January 1st to restart. You just start right today and you find your Bible reading plan and you don't even try to start in Genesis. You just start in day whatever, you know, 265, whatever today is, right? So just, just pick it up and master the restart. All right, the next point, Philippians 4. This is the fourth thing I've learned from my dad. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Pretty simple verse. Do you know the context of this? Paul is in prison writing these words. Paul in prison is telling the church, rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice. In the book of Acts, we see that Paul was singing. They were singing hymns. They were joyful in the prison. See, Paul brought joy into whatever circumstance he found himself in, good or bad. Here's the point from my dad's life. He says this a lot. If you want it to be there, you got to bring it. If you want it to be there, you got to bring it. Let me explain what he means by that. Life is kind of like a potluck, right? So this morning, um, all of us brought something into this room. All of us brought something here this morning. And what did you bring into the room? Like, Because so, all of us are saying, man, I hope, you know, we want there to be love here this morning, right? Don't we want... Don't we want church to be filled with joy and love and peace? Well, if you want those things to be here, you got to bring it. It's like, what are you bringing to the potluck? What are you walking into the room with? You're going to work and everyone else is grumbling and complaining. Well, what are you bringing in? Are you bringing in grumbling? Are you bringing the joy? You know, I talk to my kids like, they're like, oh, I don't, don't want to go to that. It's not going to be doing anything fun. Not, not going to be any fun people there. And I'm like, well, you're going to be there. And you're going to bring it, right? So if you're there, it's going to be awesome because you're going to bring the fun into the room. If you want it to be there, you got to bring it into your connection group. If you want there to be love and you want people to be friendly, well, you got to bring the friendliness. My dad says, you're going to live anyway. Might as well be happy about it. If you're going to live, might as well be happy. Might as well come in with joy. Because there's a lot of things you can't control about the other people in the room. I can't control what you guys bring, but I can bring the joy. I can bring the love. Fifth thing I learned from my dad, Isaiah 41.10. Actually, this is something my mom shared. She quoted this verse uh, when she had me, when she was going into birth, she would always quote Isaiah 41 and in different situations in her life. 
It says, do not, Isaiah 41, 10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Stuff is going to happen in your life that you don't understand. And what are you going to do when all of a sudden your faith no longer makes sense? What are you going to do when all of a sudden you are excited about following Jesus and now bad things start happening to you? Life starts to disappoint you. Unmet expectations, hopes that you had that go unfulfilled. The thing that I've learned from my parents on this point, and they've said this to me before, and I probably had this as a sermon point um, before, but it's simply this. We don't live by explanations. We live by promises. We don't live by explanations. We live by promises. Faith doesn't work by us knowing the mind of God. It works by trusting the goodness of God. It doesn't work. Faith doesn't work by God explaining. Okay, now Mark, here's why this is going to happen. And then see... um, it's like, it's like I'm watching God crochet or knit or whatever that is where I'm like, I'm staring up at all this thread coming down and it just looks like a mess. And from the top, God's like sewing something. And, it, and I'm like, why purple string right here? And he's like, just don't worry about it. Just trust me. Like on the other side from my viewpoint, it's beautiful. You just look up and just trust me. Trust me. Like I'm not going to explain every single thing that I'm doing What I need you to do is trust me. So my dad was put in charge of the family business, and it was failing, right? We had all these kind of World War II generation uncles um, that had this business, and things started changing, right? Walmart came in and took over all the little drug stores that they were selling to, the Ben Franklin's and Rexall Drugs, and some of you guys know that. My dad's store, they sold trinkets and stuff you don't need, but anyway, uh, he was put in charge of this business. And he said, he said um, there were nights that I would wake up in terror because people's livelihood was depending on me and I was terrified. I would wake up in the middle of the night terrified. And I remember as a kid, like going, he'd be taking me to school or something and I'd see these note cards on his dash with verses. He was going through Isaiah at the time. And I was asking him about this point this week. I was like, Dad, what were some of those verses? He goes, oh, I remember one of them. He said, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was terrified. You know, you usually don't have the most rational thoughts at 3 a.m., right? Everything's terrible and life is not worth living and you don't understand anything. And he said, he said God said to me, Jack, I am the Lord the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? It's a verse from Jeremiah. And he said, Jack, go back to sleep. I got this. And dad said, so I went to sleep. 
And God brought me through. He goes, that became my life verse. Trusting the promises of God, the goodness of God, when you don't understand it, is one way to persevere in joy, to persevere in your faith. Because if you will only live by explanations, then you won't be a Christian for very long. Because at some point, something's going to happen that you're three and a half pound brain does not understand. And so this is where we continue on in perseverance and joy is by trusting, not that I know the mind of God, but I trust the goodness of God. Colossians 3 is the, is the sixth point here. Colossians 3, verses one through four, says this. So if you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One thing that my dad has taught me from this is point number six here. The best days are always ahead of you. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are someone that believes that Jesus was crucified on the cross, that he was buried in Joseph's tomb, and if you believe that on the third day, on that glorious Sunday morning, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus Christ conquered death, if you are placing your faith in the empty tomb, in the risen Christ, then you believe that the best days are always ahead of you. No matter what happens in your life, the best days are always yet to come because Jesus conquered death. This is something that my dad has lived out so clearly to me. Uh, we were, this was a few years ago. I've told this story, and uh, many of you guys will remember this. Uh, my, my parents were visiting. They were leaving town. Dad had to run in, and they, they had taken off, and then they, they turned around. They forgot something. So uh, my mom was driving the car. Dad runs inside grabs something, and on his way out, he trips down the step, going out into the garage, slams his head on a sharp steel object, and nobody's there, nobody saw it happen, and I come out, I hear kind of this thud, I come out, I think my dad's dying. It was terrible. I was yelling for Letha to come help. We ended up uh, getting my dad to the hospital. They did an x-ray on his skull. The doctor comes out and he says, Jack, uh, we have good news and bad news. The good news is your skull is not fractured. The bad news is that we found a massive tumor in your brain. You know my dad's first words? He said, he looked at us and he smiled. He said, my life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Colossians 3. It's almost like he was like, this is the day that I've been waiting for my whole life. And that was, my mom and I are like terrified. And my dad is saying, oh, I'm good. Like I've got, my hope is living. My hope's alive. My hope can stare a brain tumor and say, oh, my life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is not hidden with my health in myself. My life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is not hidden with my job, with my circumstances. It is in Christ. And I think this is such the hope that keeps us going as Christians. Um, and as it turns out, my dad ended up was they were able to treat the tumor with medicine and it was actually slamming his head and falling that saved his life, right? Uh, and that's so my dad's life, right? Isn't it? Just like that was the gift that he needed to keep going in life. And my dad, he always says, he's like, Mark, it's better to be blessed than to be smart, right? That's kind of our mantra. It's just, it's, we're not, it's, it's better to be mediocre and blessed than exceptional and doing it on your own. So let me get practical on this point um, because some of us struggle with this. I read this book called The Art of Possibility and there was this really helpful, it's, it's not a, a Christian book, but I, I think this is something my dad has lived out well and this will be helpful for you. Um, when things happen in your life that are major disappointments, suffering, not what you expected, not what you planned, one practical way of living out this kind of optimism in your faith is when things happen that you don't expect, here's what you say. You actually say this word, fascinating. Learn to say the word fascinating instead of a swear word or whatever else you would say naturally. Learn to say fascinating, like brain tumor, wow. That's fascinating. Like, that's not what I expected. Like, the story that I was writing and expecting, or, you know what? I'm single, and I am well into my 20s, 30s, 40s. Fascinating. Like, this was not what I expected. Or, I lost my job, or I lost my spouse, or I lost whatever it is. Fascinating. Learn to say fascinating, and also, instead of saying but, learn to say and. So my wife and I love to go to, to Florida in the winter. I'm always checking the weather, like the 10 days in advance. You know, our trips in, you know, maybe it's in February, and I'm starting like December. Like, I wonder if they've got the two-month forecast for for Siesta Key, right? And I'm checking in. And then as we get closer, and then when we get closer, it's like, we had this great trip planned, but there's just thunderstorms and showers. Not even the lightning bolts, which is like partial, you know, it's going to rain for 15 minutes. Like, it's just all rain every day. Rain, 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 rain. I'm like, we were going to Florida, but it's going to be raining the whole time. Okay, learn to replace but with and. 
we had this amazing Florida trip planned. And it's going to be raining the whole week. And think of all the things that we could do that we wouldn't have done if it wasn't raining. Like, and we're going to play some serious board games. And we're going to spend more time together and certain activities going on. And, you know, and fill in the blank. Like, think of all the possibilities, right? Think of all the things that we could do. Some of you caught the joke. There are kids in the room. You got to make this sermon G-rated. Like... When you have this hope, when you have the hope of Jesus Christ, you can stare any circumstance in the face. You can bring the joy. You can trust the goodness of God. You can say, this is so fascinating because God is infinitely good and infinitely wise and I trust him and my life is hid with Christ in God and he is the king of my life, and I love him, and I follow him, and this is going to be good. And if you don't know where you're going to go when you die, if you don't know that when you die, you're going to heaven, if you don't know if this hope is in you, my dad would end by sharing the ABCs he would tell you, oh, it's as simple as ABC. A is you just got to admit. Admit that you are a sinner and that he is a holy God. And you are a sinful person. Admit that you are a sinner and you turn away from your sin. You admit your sin and you believe. B is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. He died on the cross for your sins he was buried. He was raised for you. You transfer your trust to him. You believe in him. And the sea is come. You come to Jesus. You, you come. You commit your life to Jesus. It's as simple as ABC. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, I would ask you, I would invite you. We're going to be taking communion. Maybe this is the very first time that you, for the first time, will put your trust in Jesus Christ and you will know for sure that you have eternal life when you die. And this, consider this communion that we're about to take an invitation to receive Jesus Christ. You don't have to, this could be your first time in church, first time ever in church, first time in church for a long time, your hundredth time, but we would invite you to admit, believe, and come and receive. And my dad was sharing this good news with this guy. He was a Chinese scholar and uh, he shared the ABCs with this guy. And, and this, this Chinese scholar, he said, oh, there's another one. There's another letter, D. And my dad's like, D? What's D? And this guy says, declare. Declare. I need to be baptized. I need to declare that I've done this. Oh, and that's right, we've got baptisms coming up. A, B, C, D, you declare the good news. Um, I want to just add a little postscript to this sermon. Two weeks ago, um, it's been a crazy month for us. It was, it was about six, six to eight weeks ago, my mother-in-law came down with a cough, and uh, she passed away 
um, I think uh, a couple weeks ago, week and a half ago. And, and uh, I had the privilege of being with my mother-in-law uh, her last night. And she got to say goodbye to all of our kids. She was on full oxygen. Um, she was able to talk to them. We sang together. And um, she, with joy in her eyes, we, you know, all of a sudden when you're dying, um, all your plans, Thanksgiving, all those things don't matter, all your stuff, all the stuff you have, because you can't take any of that with you. Uh, she was laying there, and I, I FaceTimed Jeff Dodge. Uh, I said, I texted Jeff, I'm like, hey, Jeff, my mother-in-law's dying. Uh, would you just encourage her? And I had Jeff on FaceTime, and he's like cheering her on, and she's laying in the bed, and Jeff, uh, our great pastor, is like reading Revelation. He's like, Gene, it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's, this is what heaven's going to be like. And he's reading this over her, just cheering her on, and she just had this brightness in her face, in her eyes, and, and uh, she just said, I can't wait to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And I hope, I hope for everyone in this room that you have this hope inside you. And this, these communion tables are a reminder of what we're about to do. Is, this, is a, this is a reminder of our hope. So let's pray together. Jesus, we want to run the race that you have for us. And I pray that you will come, encourage us, and cheer us on as we continue on this journey with you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.